Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Athletes. My name is Michael Raziel and I'm the host of the show where I get to have conversations with Olympic athletes and hopefuls and ask them about questions about story, their story and path to the games. Today we have an incredible, incredible athlete. Her name is Stacy Manella. She is a two-time Paralympian in downhill skiing. Um, Stacy is visually impaired. And when I heard that she was a skier, and not only just a skier, a very good skier, uh, I had a lot of questions, uh, I'm sure like most of you do. And Stacy is an incredible human being. She's super smart, going to grad school in British Columbia next year, just graduated from Dartmouth. Um, obviously, obviously knows what she's doing when it comes to schooling, but she also teaches me a lot about communication and trust uh, because downhill skiing is very interesting with visually impaired athletes because they actually have a guide that is ahead of them the whole time speaking to them telling them what they need to do while they're going down the hill so Stacy gets very deep into that and I think it's absolutely incredible so I really really hope you enjoy this episode with Stacy Manella but first have you ever wanted to create your own podcast? Um, I'm doing one right now and I learned everything from launchingpodcasts.com. It is a step-by-step video course on how to easily create your own podcast. Your very first one, it takes you from ideation all the way to your fourth episode. It is absolutely incredible. I loved it. I learned everything I know from it. So anybody that's listening now knows that you're capable of doing it because I did it. And I think it's very easy. I did it to build relationships, become a thought leader, just learn more about the space by asking questions, which is something that I really love to do. So If any of you are interested, go to launchingpodcasts.com, use promo code Mike for $50 off. That's launchingpodcasts.com, promo code Mike for $50 off. All right, today, special guest Stacey Manella of USA Alpine Skiing, two-time Paralympian, born April 25th, 1996, from Randolph, New Jersey, born with, let's see if I can get it. Born with a chromatopsia, this limits her sight and makes um, her very sensitive to light. She started skiing at the age of four. By the fifth grade, she was already racing in events. In 2011, she was named to the USA Developmental Team. She is attending Dartmouth and is graduating as of recording in about a month. Congratulations. And is on their equestrian team there. But she competed in the 2014 and 2018 Paralympic Games, as I said, for alpine skiing. Stacey, thanks for hanging out with us today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. The pleasure is all mine. I promise you that. So let's, uh, let's start the story at the beginning. I mean, you started skiing at four. I've never been on skis, so I'm probably a terrible person to do this interview. But um, <laughs> Try it. It's fun. I, I have a, there's a whole story. I'll tell you afterwards, but it's, uh, okay. it is what it is. But uh, I mean, I guess tell, take, us, take us from the beginning. I mean, tell us what you've been up to since uh, that fateful day back in 1996. <laughs> that was a while ago. Um, yeah, so I started skiing when I was four. Um, my, I was born with achromatopsia, which is a genetic eye condition that affects the cones in my eyes. And so basically, I've always been very light sensitive. I have really poor visual acuity, um, and I'm partially colorblind. And so when I was born, um, my parents found out that I was legally blind when I was five months old, and they decided uh, that they wanted to make sure that I was active. And um, for some reason, they, they, I tried a lot of different sports as a kid. Um, but skiing was really unique because we could do it as a family. And so, um, when I was four, they put me on skis at the Adaptive Sports Foundation at Wyndham Mountain. Um, and then I have skied there basically ever since. <laughs> That's pretty lucky them. I mean, I guess they hit the jackpot, huh? That's fantastic. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and what is it, what is that like? I mean, obviously it's pretty much everything you've ever known, but, um, 
I mean, did you, was there ever, like, you say you can do it as a family. What exactly does that mean? Because it still seems hard to me, again, never, never skiing, not really understanding it, still going down a mountain and not being able to see. That has to be some sort of difficult level, right? Yeah, so um, well, we skied as a family in that, like, we had a ski house, and um, every weekend when I was growing up, from the time I was, like, a toddler, like, four, until I graduated from high school, we would go upstate and we would ski, and so it was, like, family time. We didn't necessarily, like, ski together, um, so I ski, as a legally blind skier, I ski following a sighted guide, um, and so there is a person in front of me, and we communicate um, via Bluetooth headsets, and so we can talk back and forth. And um, so she stays about 10 feet in front of me, and then um, she will tell me different things, such as um, changes in the rhythm of the course, changes in the terrain, um, anything that really a sighted skier would um, kind of, a sighted skier could look ahead and mm-hmm. think about, um, the guide will tell me those things. And so um, she sort of acts with my eyes um, and communicates with me um, to make sure that I, one, safely get down the course, but also do it in a way that's fast and um, will push me to be a better athlete, basically. That is very cool. I did not know that how that's worked. So I guess, so that's what it is now when you were younger, like at the age of like when you're learning how to ski, like how, how, how do you have those conversations and that communication, especially because you weren't really capable of seeing what she meant, you know, after doing it so many times, it makes sense. But like, how did you start that process? Yeah. So at first, um, when I was a very little kid, I would ski, um, holding onto like a bamboo pole. And there would be like two instructors on both sides of me and they would kind of tell me where to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you ask my dad about that, he would say like that he saw me skiing and he just assumed that that's how I would ski for the rest of my life. <laughs> ah. um, so I think I like, um, I got beyond his expectation, but um, slightly, <laughs> slightly. Um, but you can kind of progress with that. So many um, low vision skiers will first learn to ski with say a sighted guide behind them. Um, and in the competitive ski racing world, you can't do that. You have to have the guide in front of you. Um, and so that's what you kind of progress to, uh, as you continue to be a better skier. And so, um, and that's how I compete. That is very interesting. I did not know that. So while you're competing at the Paralympics, you have a guide pretty much in front of you explaining and saying everything that's going on, correct? Yeah. So, um, the guide is essentially just as much an athlete as I am, um, we're a team and every time I leave the start, she's in front of me. And every time I win a medal, she's, she also wins a medal. And so um, in terms of funding, that actually makes it quite difficult for low vision athletes because mm-hmm. uh, now not only am I paying for my funding, but I'm also paying all of the expenses and even a salary for the guide. Um, and so that can kind of become quite expensive. Um, even there is some financial support for like, uh, upper level athletes, but, um, still not that much. Yeah. I could still see, I could see that being difficult, but man, like that's, that seems like such a cool job. And then, yeah, as you said, you guys are, you're a team. It's, it's, it's an individual sport and you know, you have your overall team, but now it's, it's you and your guide. And I think that that's really cool. I did not know that. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That's fantastic. So actually, since we're on the topic, one thing I always like to do is educate um, the audience a little bit. I mean, I'll have you educate them because clearly you can tell I don't know too much. Um, I can ask questions and that's one thing I want to be good at. So um, explain the sport of alpine skiing. You know, it's something that we watch once every four years. Um, It's something that 
I forget and then I watch it and then the TV broadcast reminds me and then I cheer and then I forget it. So the next time I go in watching, I want to have a little extra information. So if you don't mind just kind of giving us a nice understanding of slalom, giant slalom, super G, downhill, and just kind of give us maybe the differences between them and and maybe some of the similarities. Yeah, definitely. Um, And it's funny you say that because in the U.S., you're totally right. Most people only pay attention to skiing during um, the Olympics. But in Europe, it's like very much ingrained within the culture. And so um, it's followed a lot more like uh, it's a kind of more of a mainstream sport, um, which is interesting when you go abroad and you kind of realize that people are actually paying attention. Um, But alpine skiing is really cool. Um, So basically, all of the events have the same premise is that uh, you want to get through a course of gates as fast as you can Um, and there are rules and regulations obviously you have to go around the gates uh, in the right direction and these sorts of things but for the most part you want to be as fast as possible Um, and you have five uh, alpine events so um, the speed events which are um, the super g the downhill and the super combined those are the fastest events and those have the biggest radius turns and those will give you like the the highest speeds and the jumps that you see in the Olympics a lot. Um, but then you also have the tech events, which is the slalom and the GS. And those are um, smaller radius turns. Um, you need to be really precise on your speed. You need to be quick on your feet um, and these sorts of things. Um, and so they all kind of have the same premise, but they're all a little bit different in the radius of the turns um, and the ski that the athlete is skiing on. So the speed events, um, the downhill and the super G, those you would ski on a speed ski, which is like a much longer ski because the turns are much bigger. And then the tech events are obviously shorter skis. Very cool. Yes, that was very succinct. And which which are which is your favorite? Um, I've always been a tech skier. I grew up skiing on the East Coast, and so we didn't have like the big mountains for me mm-hmm. to practice speed. Um, and so yeah, I've always been a slalom skier. That's always been my favorite. Um, but. Very cool. See, I've also spoken with some uh, alpine skiers that are down out on the West Coast, and they kind of uh, poke fun at the East Coast skiers because they can stay up a little bit later and drink a little bit more, which I thought was funny um, because they're much more into going fast and having fun, I guess. Not that you're not into having fun, of course, but that was a funny conversation I had. Um, fantastic. And what about, I guess, what about alpine skiing do you love so much? I mean, there's so many different disciplines within skiing itself. What is it about alpine skiing that really because at a young age, I'm sure that wasn't the first thing you ever did, right? Yeah, I mean, it kind of was like, for me, um, alpine skiing is kind of where you can go with skiing for Paralympic athletes. But Mm -hmm. um, also as someone who is legally blind, like I never saw myself as a freestyle skier, like I was never really comfortable throwing Mm -hmm. myself off of jumps. And like, it just didn't always end well for me. And so Eh. I think alpine racing was like the logical progression for me. Um, I really like going fast. I really like um, kind of the freedom that that gives me. And so I think that's kind of why I was drawn mostly to Alpine stuff. So that's why you were drawn to it. But what do you love so much about it? What do I love so much about it? Um, I mean, I love, I love the speeds. I, I actually really enjoy my, the relationship that I can build with my guide. Um, I like feeling like I can like trust the person in front of me so implicitly. Um, and I really just like the idea of like continuously working to be better than you were yesterday and um, just like um, always kind of making changes and making improvements and trying to continuously be better. 
Yeah, I love that. I mean, everyone should be trying to get better at something every day, right? I know I try and do. Um, it sounds like you're doing a pretty good job at that as well. And and going back to the guide, I just think that that's such an interesting dynamic that you have. I mean, obviously, I'm coming from a place where I, I don't really understand because I've never been in your situation, but really throwing complete caution to them, right? Like not throwing it to the wind. You're at least, you know, it's, you're pretty much doing a giant trust fall down a mountain, right? Like that is mm-hmm. a pretty impressive thing. And I think that that's so cool. Like what is what is it like for the guide in that situation? Like what, what, it, what, it, I don't, I don't know, like the feelings that they feel and, and the, the opportunity and the, their part of the relationship, obviously you being behind them, but I'm sure you've had those conversations before. Yeah. Um, it's a super interesting relationship. I think, um, the guide it, in a lot of ways, it's a really great opportunity for someone. They get to travel the world. They get to participate, uh, in events held in Olympic venues, like, world championships, like events that likely they haven't, um, haven't gotten a chance to see in before. But also, I really think it's an interesting dynamic because it's so much a team effort. Um, it takes a really long time to build that relationship. And it takes a really long time to like, solidify that partnership, because it's so much trust and you mm-hmm. need to learn how to communicate with that person. Like, you essentially need to know that person so well that you can you can like understand what they're thinking or understand their tone of voice. And, um, and that's what makes for a successful parent. So yeah, a lot of work goes into that. Um, and it's a lot of time together, a lot of building trust. Um, and yeah, it's like essentially a marriage. We joke about that Mm -hmm. a lot, but in reality it really is because, uh, we spend like many months on the road together. Um, I think, when I was training for Pyeongchang, I think I counted it that between the months of September and April, I did not spend more than something like four nights away from my guide. Um, like it was something crazy. So yeah, you have to really enjoy each other's company uh, and be able to find the fun in all of it, even when you when there are objectively moments Mm -hmm. but it might not be that fun yeah i live with my girlfriend and i think we've spent less time apart uh during that period of time so i think that that's yeah as you said it's a marriage it a hundred percent is and i just think i you know that that dynamic that relationship is is clearly so important and and i think it's cool too as you said like you win a medal they win a medal like it's a team sport at that point i think that's really interesting and i think that's something the audience is going to be very interested to find out, not really knowing um, how yeah. that happens. So I think that that's really cool. So thank you for that. Um, yeah. Moving on a little bit from the sport back to you being named. So in 2011, you were named to the uh, developmental team. What was that like? And I guess, how do you even get to that point? What did you need to do? And, and, and how do you get to the point of them being like, Stacy should be on our developmental team? Um, yeah, so that was really, honestly, I was very lucky. The first guide that I worked with, she was very committed, um, and when I was uh, when I was twelve, I think I we kind of had a conversation, and I I kind of set a goal for myself to make the Sochi team, um, and it was a lot of work that went into that, and and it was a lot to juggle, you know, like I was in high school and uh, I was juggling being a student and um, being an athlete and uh, kind of figuring out how to do both because I was young and like I didn't really know. And I think, um, but yeah, so I worked really hard to get to that point where I was named to the development team. And that was cool because then I felt like, wow, like this could really be a thing that I'm doing. Um, and it kind of just uh, fueled a fire to continue to work. And that's sort of how uh, I ended up 
progressing from mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And what did it mean? Like once you did join the team, did how much did you see yourself improve as a skier and as an athlete? Like once you did have the ability to go to the facilities or, or utilize their training or anything like that? Yeah, I think that um, a lot of that, you know, there's not that much support in terms mm-hmm. of funding for development athletes. Um, however, I think that a lot of it is like having those experiences, like spending a weekend at the Olympic training center and Mm -hmm. like putting yourself with all of those incredible athletes who work every single day to make sure that they are like continuing to improve. And so I think that just like being in that environment, um, kind of, uh, fuels a fire for any development athlete to Mm -hmm. want to continue to push and to get there. Um, and I don't really think I really felt like I, had made it and like belonged on the team really until probably I fully made the team and maybe <laughs> even not till after Sochi. That is, uh, you're not the first person to tell me that I promise you. Um, but it sounds like being named to the developmental team is, is kind of like you get the, the motivation, the inspiration and almost a little, as you, you, you quite don't feel it yet, but a little extra validation understanding that mm-hmm. you are now one step closer than everybody else. Like if you're not on the development yeah. team, you're not. And if you are, you are yeah it seems like it's more in name yeah and like as a Paralympic athlete like it's a pretty small world and like making the development team was a big deal because uh then you feel like oh okay I'm like on their radar like Mm -hmm. the national team knows who I am and like that's I always thought was like that was exciting for me yeah that is incredible good for you congratulations obviously very much deserved your name to the developmental team in 2011 congratulations on that again uh 2014 is the paralympic games and you made it there what is the qualification process like for alpine skiing to go from the developmental team to three years later being on the olympic team and going to the olympics Um, yeah so um the nomination for the actual paralympic team um is kind of completely separate from the national team. Um, And there's criteria that are set forth, I think by the IPC, um, we're given a certain number of spots based off of different criteria in terms of like our performance at world championships and these kinds of things. So the U.S. has a certain number of spots to fill and those spots get filled based off of uh, world ranking. And so um, like, I think in, uh, Sochi, we had nine women's spots, I want to say, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and so sometimes they'll pull people, like even people that are not on the national team, they might pull for the games. Um, but a lot of the times it's mostly just national team people. And so mm-hmm. I definitely was at the bottom end of that cut um, when I went to Sochi. But um, I, yeah, I made the team based off of that criteria for Sochi and then um, kind of worked from there. Mm-hmm. Okay, very cool. That, that's great to know. Because again, I, I talked to so many athletes from so many sports, and it's essentially different in every single sport at this point. So I can't keep yeah. it straight. That's why I just asked. So you made the team. And that's incredible. And if I'm not mistaken, you finished top 10 when you were there. So that's awesome. So I guess I always like asking this in two parts. What was the, the competition like? I mean, you compete against many of these athletes all the time anyway. So it's not like it's mm-hmm. that different. But then you understand the media, the pressure and everything else on top of it. What was the actual competition like when you were at the Paralympic Games? Yeah. So um, in terms of the people that we ski against, you're exactly right. Like we typically see all those girls um, while we're on the World Cup circuit. Um, We know all those girls. We're friends with some of them, you know. Um, And so the Paralympics are not that different in that sense. I think what is very different is like the energy of the games and the pressure of the games because 
um, you know, like for that one moment every four years, I feel like the whole world decides to watch. But um, there's a lot of work that goes into making it to that point. And mm-hmm. so I think that a lot of times that work is kind of uh, undervalued because everyone just pays attention to the results and what happens in those moments. At the mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Well, as you were saying, it's not like you sat on the couch for four years and went to the Olympics or the Paralympics. You, you were, as you said, you were on the World Cup circuit. You were in Europe where the sport is relatively big. So I think that that's cool. And it might have given you a little extra um, uh, boost. So as I said, you finished sixth. I mean, what's it like being sixth in the world at something? That's pretty cool. You, you did finish sixth, right? Yeah. Okay, um, cool. in, I got that right. So I finished sixth. Um, it was really cool. I It was my first time. So in that point, I was you know, I was young and I didn't have a lot of experience on the World Cup circuit even. So um, it was just really inspiring for me just to be in the same race as many of those girls um, um, because I really admired them as athletes and as competitors and uh, just to be up there with them with some of the best in the world is uh, like a very unique experience. And you're one of the best in the world if you beat them, right? (sighs) I try. <laughs> all right. All right. I'll take it. Very humble. Very humble. We appreciate that. Um, and then, so, so the competition part sounds like you had a lot of fun and you did pretty well. What was just the experience of being there like and understanding that so many people are there for the same reason and so many of you get the opportunity to compete and, and represent your country on one of the biggest stages of all time? Yeah, it's definitely a really, really unique platform. Um, it's really cool to have the re- like so many resources put into one place because um we don't always you know we travel and it's not always so luxurious in mm-hmm. terms of like what we have access to um uh it's really nice to have like the USOC standing behind us in terms of um like resources that we can use to make sure that we're performing at our peak at events like that it's really fun to be part of the Olympic Village and um to meet athletes from all over from so many different sports because we don't always get that like mm-hmm. the alpine skiers know each other but like even the u.s uh nordic guys like those are people i don't really get to interact with typically and so um being at the games all there for one common goal is um just a really unique um place to hang out and be yeah, I would love to hang out there. That sounds like a lot of fun. Um, were there any particular athletes either from the United States or, or other countries that you were either trying to get in front of or, or spend time with or pick their brain at all? Um, you know, it's kind of not. I, I think we are all very focused in those moments mm-hmm. too. Um, so it's not, it's not like very low key and, and like we're just hanging out all the time. Mm-hmm. Like I think most of us kind of have like a routine that we stick to. Um, I mean, there's, there's people that I look up to in all of the sports, like, I mean, like my very close friend and mentor, Danielle Umston, she's on the team, Oksana Masters, who's like a great Nordic skier, um, you know, and it's just fun to be in that same place with so many people, like being in the cafeteria, seeing so many different teams, um, and being able to like, just uh, kind of be together is unique within the sport. And you don't always see that in places that aren't at the games. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, again, it's, it's one of the biggest events every two years, every four years for winter. I mean, it, it is incredible and I, I love it. And thank you for, for telling us a little bit about that. And um, so you even said before the validation didn't even hit you till after those games, which I think is interesting. Hopefully by the second time around, you felt a little validated. Um, but in between those four years, if I'm not mistaken, if my timeline is correct, um, you would have been, 
uh, starting Dartmouth within those four years, correct? So tell us, I guess, it's not like you sat on your couch. So so tell us really what was going on between 2014 and 2018, um, starting school and, and, and everything else around it. Yeah, so I took a year off from competing right after Sochi, and I came to Dartmouth full-time, and I took a, I did a year of school here, and then I went back to skiing. And so um, I chose to come to Dartmouth because I could do that, and Dartmouth's on trimesters, and so I have taken off most of the winter trimesters to ski full-time and travel with the team. Um, and that has made it really nice. I'm not going to say easy, but it's made it doable for me because um, I can spend most of my summers going to school and I only miss a little bit of summer training. And then um, typically I jump right back into things in the winter. And so, um, yeah, that's been uh, one way that I've, that's kind of how I got through school with it. Um, and it was just about learning to juggle my academics, what I needed to do academically with everything else. Um, and yeah. Yeah. And also congratulations on Dartmouth. If I'm not mistaken, that's one of those Ivy league schools, right? Those, those guys have a pretty good <laughs> reputation. One yeah. One of those schools. So congratulations, yeah. very well deserved. Um, I think that's incredible. And, um, as I said before, if I'm not mistaken, you are graduating from Dartmouth. So double congratulations. What, um, what was your major? I guess what was, yeah. What was your major? Say it one more time. I'm sorry. Anthropology. Anthropology. Very cool. I love it. That's fantastic. Um, and you were also on their equestrian team. Yes. What, how do you, like, how did you get into, when did you start riding horses? Um, yeah, so I've ridden horses since probably I was 10 or 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always loved horses. I would go up to the barn every day after school in high school, and I would, like, take care of the horses, and I would do some work and sometimes get thrown some rides, which was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I spent a lot of my time in a barn and I knew I wanted horses to be a part of my college experience, basically. Um, and so, yeah, I've been on the Dartmouth equestrian team for most of my time here. Um, I took a little bit of time off when I was skiing full time because I wasn't here for most of the year. Um, but I've gotten to compete able-bodied on, in the hunter jumper ring, which is fun. Uh, I've never gotten to do a sport that like wasn't specifically for people with disabilities. And so it was nice to be able to compete against so many other college students. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, um, so I typically ride how I do it is instead, like I um, will walk the course beforehand so that I can look at where the jumps are and look at where I need to turn to get to the jumps because I can't always see them from, they're very far away. I like might point my horse towards the jump and not fully see it and so um I will learn where I need to go with the horse and then usually horses are really cool in that they like will really take care of you um uh, and so I've been able to kind of trust them to take care of me and to make sure that I'm safe and it's been really fun you have a lot of trust. I got to give you that. I don't, I don't even think I have that much. That's incredible. So very cool. And what, I guess being, being on the equestrian team, how have, what, have any of your skills, I guess trust might be one, but have any of the skills kind of gone back and forth between the two sports considering they are relatively different? Um, yeah, I think so. And I think both of them, you're right. It's like, it's very much grounded in trust. Um, and also this idea, I think trust communication um, and like a loss of control, um, because I think it can be really hard to like relinquish that control. And that's something that I need to do in both when I'm riding and when I'm following someone skiing, um, I need to be able to like, like allow them to take care of me and to take control. And so 
Um, I think control is one of them. Communication, um, I know that's funny because horses can't talk, but you <laughs> definitely, I'm communicating with my horse every step um, and they're just as much communicating back to me. And so um, I think that that's something that I've used a lot in my skiing as well, because um, in order for us to be successful skiing with my guide, I need to be, have concise um, and simple communication that is effective. Um, and then trust. Yeah. I obviously have to trust both mm -hmm. um, my guide and the horse that I'm on because they are responsible for keeping me safe. And um, yeah. Yeah. I love it. I mean, that's it. Once you explain it, it makes sense how both can be, you, you can be very good at both. Um, just looking at it on paper, I'm like this, I'm curious about this, but now that you explain it, a lot of it comes down to communication and trust. And you've been mastering that since you, well, since you started growing up, but at least with this on the sports side, since you were four. So I think that's incredible. Um, mm -hmm. So congratulations, graduating from Dartmouth university with one of those Ivy league school, um, um, diplomas that's pretty darn cool congratulations worked really hard for that um on the equestrian team and then um well before graduating you went to the 2018 games in pyeongchang i did what was it like um what would like not too many people get to go to one so what is it like and what does it mean to you to understand again outside of the experience outside of the competition that you got to go to two olympic or paralympic games and you were able to represent your country twice at like again one of the biggest events worldwide yeah, um, for Pyeongchang, I think it was, it was, uh, I definitely had a different mindset. Um, I had just spent a couple of years pretty, like, very committed to skiing and um, pretty much doing it full time for a lot of the year. So um, I was definitely in a different mindset in a different place. Um, I was, like, no longer the rookie that was, mm -hmm. like, coming onto the team as a very young athlete and just, like, doing it for the experience. I was, like, um, hoping to go and be competitive. Um, unfortunately, I didn't have a great year leading up to Pyeongchang and I had a lot of injuries and a lot of setbacks, but, um, I think that like overall, I, I grew up in the ski racing world. Right. And so I think that like my experiences, even just being in school and kind of being able to think critically about, uh, my own experiences, uh, kind of shaped how I could think about being an athlete and, um, think about embracing those moments, um, that are like really quite special with so many different people and different cultures that all come together for one big um, event. Mm -hmm. I love it. I think that's incredible. Yeah. So thank you for representing us. You'd be much, you are much better than I would ever be, but I think oh, that it's super God. cool. Um, so thank you for that. I think that's incredible. And, and uh, so, yeah, unfortunately the competition didn't go as well, um, you know, obviously, but if I'm not mistaken, you still finished top 10, right? Uh, yeah, honestly, I don't even know. <laughs> I, I, I had skied very well the year before that. Um, uh -huh. I was really happy with how skiing had been going and I podiumed at world championships, I podiumed at world cup finals. And then, um, I, the year of the games, I, I tore my MCL like a hundred days out from the games. <sighs> I like went through a lot of different stuff that was going on. And then I came back to snow I got a concussion, I broke my thumb, and then, like, then I got back on snow, and then I went to the game, so, you know, I think it was really hard for me to, like, kind of, um, to kind of accept that that didn't go as well as I really wanted it mm -hmm. to, but at the same time, like, I think it's important to acknowledge that with any sport, you're gonna have, like, 
ups and downs and you hope that they're not going to be for a full season, but sometimes they are. And um, I think that, that, you know, you just have to accept that you can't be perfect every day and you have to just be the best that you can be in that given day. And I did that at the game. So it is what it is. <laughs> hey man, it is what it is. I mean, stuff happens. You know, what are you going to do? As you said, you were your best that day, and that's really all you can do at that point. So congratulations on that. I think that that's fantastic. So um, 2018. And then what about, I guess, the experience? Like, as you said before, you were the rookie. This time you came in with a different mindset. Was there anything that maybe you missed the first time or or that you did the first time that you either did or did not want to do, again, this second time around? Um, no, not really. I think it's, like, just about, like, taking advantage of all the opportunities and um, like being part of the opening ceremonies and like um, really like allowing yourself to mingle with other athletes and to like um, kind of embrace what it is to be part of the game. Mm -hmm. And then uh, another thing I do want to talk about going back, um, you know, sticking, sticking to the Paralympic games a little bit. And this I think is just, uh, just ignorance on the public's part, not really understanding, you know, most people you talk to and, and, you know, it is right or wrong. Most people would probably assume or equate the Paralympic Games a little bit closer to the Special Olympics than the actual Olympics themselves. Um, and having you on, and having your, I think, the third or fourth Paralympic, Paralympian I've had the opportunity to speak with, um, I'd love to, for you to just to describe the level of intensity and the, the competition and what's that like and getting people to understand that this is very cutthroat and very, very um, intense, I guess, to, to, for lack of a better term. Yeah, um, so Paralympic athletes are typically full-time athletes, just like Olympic athletes, um, it takes, uh, it's a, essentially a full-time job to dedicate yourself enough to be successful enough to make a Paralympic team. Um, the Paralympics are held three weeks after the Olympics, uh, typically in the same venue as the Olympic Games. Um, they just move the Olympians out and they make the village uh, accessible for people who are handicapped and then they bring in the Paralympic athletes. And so, yeah, it's a really intense environment. It is quite cutthroat. There's a lot of competition um, there's a lot, uh, specifically a lot of competition for those spots for the games, um, and um, yeah, it's like no joke. Mm -hmm. It is like the Olympics for disabled athletes, um, and there's a huge turnout for that. And um, I think that people in the U.S. need to watch more because mm -hmm. it's actually quite. I think there are a lot of really cool stories that we could share about Paralympic athletes that don't always get represented in the media. I totally agree. Um, and that's why I like to have Paralympic athletes on as well, because I believe every athlete has an incredible story. Um, again, going and representing our country on the highest stage twice is still extremely impressive. Um, you're still going down the same hills, right? It's not like they change the hills just because. Yeah, same one. Yeah. So, I mean, like, it's, it's even more impressive, in my opinion. You can't see. <laughs> like, you know, it's like that's incredible that you're still able to do something like that. It's just insane to me. Yeah, exactly. Um, like, all of the same all of like the downhills that you guys watch in the Olympics, those are the same ones that we run as Paralympic athletes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just think that is so cool. So, you know, I had, um, uh, Paralympian, uh, Blake Haxton on, he's a USA rower. And he told me like, he, he appreciates when people acknowledge, but at the same time, he doesn't like it when people think of it more as the, Oh, good for you games. And I thought that that was really interesting that some people do look at it like that. And as I said, for, for, for whatever it is, again, I think it's more a, a lack of, not to say intelligence, because I don't want to, um, you know, say someone's not smart or intelligent, but they're just, 
ignorant on the fact that it's not anywhere close to the Special Olympics. It's way closer to the Olympics and in certain cases, even more cutthroat in certain places. So I think that that's very interesting. So thank you for giving us a little bit on that as well. Um, so you, so I have a couple more topics to talk about. One is 2022. So as you said, you have to be a full-time skier to, to compete for the games and get there. You're graduating. Um, so, I mean, you got a couple years left. What's, what's on the docket, Stacey? What are we doing? Um, we'll see. So, um, I'm going to grad school. Congratulations. Um, thank you. I am going to try to ski as much as I can. I'm moving to Vancouver. Um, and so that will be a great place to ski. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I know I, everyone is asking me this question and I don't have a great answer for it yet, but, um, I hope that racing will definitely be a part of my life for the next few years mm-hmm. yes and we hope to be able to see you on tv again in in a few short years so we're crossing our Perfect. fingers but we understand you got some other stuff you're doing so i think that that's incredible um so i'll just put a question mark next to 2022 how's that sound like Great. That sounds um, good. very cool and then uh you know obviously one thing i also want to talk about that i think is really cool is you recently just did a ted ted talk if i'm not mistaken correct i did i just um i just wrote a tedx for TEDx Dartmouth um so it was at my school and yeah that was really fun that is incredible um I've always wanted to be a speaker at a TED talk um hopefully one of these days I'm excited we'll see um but tell us I mean you're kind of you have a a speaking career almost on on athlete advocacy if uh uh, you know so so tell us a little bit more about that what that means to you and, and what it might look like moving forward yeah um so I've spoken quite a bit um, this is actually the second TEDx I've done. I also did one at a high school a few years ago. Um, I've spoken quite a bit about my experiences ski racing, the lessons skiing has taught me, um, how to face failures, um, how to work with um, people and communicate um, and build those communication, build communication and trust um, so you can work well with other people. Um, and then also I'm moving into more of a little bit of advocacy, which is what I spoke about at the TEDx at Dartmouth, and um, that's me talking about the work that I've done for inclusive education for students with disabilities um, at Dartmouth, and I'm hoping that that message, I can continue to speak about that um, and kind of spread that message to other institutions as well. All right. I mean, I think having a speaking career is incredible. I want to be a speaker because I love talking. And if I can get paid to do something that I love, I think that that's pretty great, right? So I just have to practice more. And that's why I have this podcast. I love interviewing. I love asking questions. And I love talking so much. So hopefully that'll bring me somewhere, Stacey. We will see. Um, and I guess so what's what's next um you know obviously you kind of have you have kind of you do have a speaking career you're going to advocate for athletes even more i'm sure that's not leaving anytime soon um you, you're going to grad school so i'm assuming there's something else like what is your career not we're not kicking you out again crossing my fingers for 2022 but what is the post-career career for stacy manella um yeah so i'm really lucky i've always also had school along with my athletic career um and i think that's been really good for me um, next year, I am going to grad school at the University of British Columbia, um, which is in Vancouver, and I am part of a sociocultural lab there in the kinesiology department. So um, I will be writing a thesis looking at uh, qualitative research, looking at the relationship dynamic actually between visually impaired athletes and their guides. Um, so I'm going to try to write about that a little bit because it's not something that's really um, represented in the media Mm -hmm. or in academia and so I think that that's a really interesting thing to look at and then in the future I'm hoping to do a clinical psychology PhD and do some sports psychology work 
with athletes. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, so your talks are about trust and communication. You're going to write a thesis about trust and communication. And thankfully, you've been doing that for, again, almost your entire life. So I think that's fantastic. And then sports psych, always need more people to help out in any way, shape or form. So, you know, we thank you for that one as well. So Stacey, um, did we miss anything? Because this was fantastic. Thank you so much. I don't think so. I think we're uh, Perfect. All right. It's your story. So I'm happy that if you're happy with it, I'm happy with it. One more time, Stacey Manella, USA Alpine skiing, two-time Olympian, three-time question mark? Nobody knows. Stacy. thank you so much. We really appreciate your time today. Perfect. Thanks. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode with Stacy Manella. As I said, she's incredible. Taught me so much about communication and trust and needing to really, you know, she's constantly doing a trust fall down a ski hill, uh, which I think is incredible. So she is, she was so much fun to talk to, had so much, obviously she's a speaker. She's doing things for athlete advocation. I mean, she is just an incredible person. I don't know how she does it all, but she's fantastic. And she's not far, um, you know, Randolph, New Jersey. That's right, right around where I grew up. Uh, so very cool that I had the opportunity to talk to her. Every, all of her socials will be in the show notes. Um, any of the information, make sure it is all in there. Please follow us at ourathletes.us on Instagram, ourathletesusa on Twitter. Check out the new website, www.ourathletes.us. Um, all the experiences are starting to come alive, which we're very excited about. I want to get people in front of these Olympic athletes and vice versa, just so that they can feel the rush and understand what it is like. Um, make sure to like, subscribe, give us five stars on the iTunes store or the Apple podcast app, whatever it is. We need more people to listen to these stories because as with Stacy's and many of these other stories, they're absolutely incredible and thank you one more time to our sponsor launchingpodcast.com go to their store use promo code mike for 50 dollars off their easy step-by-step video course and other than that i hope you all make it a wonderful day